All right, I want to finish up where I left off last week, if that's okay. If you weren't here last week, we were talking about this thing called shame. And I know that all of you have felt it, because psychologists say if you're breathing, you have experienced shame at some time in your life. And shame is this sense that not it's different than guilt. I explained last week how guilt says I did something wrong, but shame says there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. And we found out last week, and if you, you weren't here, I encourage you, we have those on podcasts. You can go on Facebook Live and all uh, the website and find the messages. I would encourage you to listen to it. But what we found last week is when this prodigal, when this prodigal who has wasted everything, when he comes to his senses and he's ready to come home, he makes himself vulnerable. And if you're going to ever move out of shame, you've got to realize you can't do it yourself. And you can't do it alone. That to move out of shame, you've got to make yourself vulnerable and you've got to come back to the Father. And when you come back to the Father, what you realize is that there is no condemnation in the Father. There is no additional shame in the Father. What there is, is perfect love. And the Father comes out and He's running. Last week, we had this picture of God our Father and He's running to the prodigal. And the reason is... He has to get there first before anybody else does. Before anybody else can embarrass him further, the father has to get there and put on this robe and put on this ring and put on these sandals so that he's adopted into the family. And I asked you last week, did any of you allow God to finally put on your ring and robe? Yeah. It was one of those things that I think God was trying to tell us last week that, that some of us had returned. We'd come to our senses. But when we got to God, we just weren't sure that we were worthy of a ring and a rope. And so we, we often live in this state of, no, nah, I can't have that. Somehow I haven't done enough to deserve the, the favor and the goodness and the mercy of God. And so we re refuse that. And I, and I ask this question, I'll ask it again in case you missed it. Who are you to tell God He can't be good to you? Huh? Who, who, who are you that says that, that God can't be good to you? He, he'll be good to who He wants to be good to. And He wants to be good to, to you. And, and I believe that that's one of the, uh, the amazing parts of the story. It's the part that is told the most but for those of you who know the Bible, there's another character in there. There's another brother. Any of you know this older brother? I would like to describe this older brother as religion. Can I do that? That, that may be a little bit offensive because I, I understand that, that there are parts of our religion that, and we call that religion, and it, and it is good, but there is a place that religion can go, and we see it in the life of this older brother, and we don't want to go there either. But here's the reality. Most of us would like to think that we know some people who are religious. But we would never admit that there's a little bit of religiousness in us. Huh? We, we see it in other people, but we don't want to admit that there might just be a touch of that in us. And so we're going to look at this older brother today. If you will, turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 25. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it to you. I want you to know the, I want you to know the story straight from Scripture. Watch this older brother. This is the second half of the story. It says, Now his 
older brother was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brothers come and your fathers kill the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Look at verse 28. But he became angry. And he was not willing to go in. So his father came out and he began pleading with him. But he answered and he said to the father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours. Yeah, you never even gave me a young goat. (laughs) Forget the fatty calf. I can't even get a young goat out of you. So that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, do you hear that? Not my brother. He didn't say when my brother came back. Mm -mm. We long past that. He said, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. (laughs) I would venture to say, let's, let's just assume that there might be a little bit of that still in us. And if it is, we'd like to get it out of us. That, that sense of, of anger that this older brother has, it says that he's angry to the point that he's ready to explode. Have you ever been that mad? Like, you're so angry that you got blood in your eyes angry? I mean, you become like evil, scary angry. Yeah, when this brother finds out, this older brother finds out that this younger brother has come home, he's got blood in his eyes. He's ready to explode with anger. And he is sitting there going, what in the world has just happened? You didn't do that for me. You see, religion says... I've been out working, I've been out hustling, doing what I'm supposed to do, and yet you're going to reward him for coming home. Now, all good religious people are good when sinners come back to Jesus, right? We, we all good with that. The younger brother probably would have been okay if this, the older brother would have been okay if this younger brother came back. He's like, it's okay if he comes back, but don't throw him a party. Don't don't throw him a party when he comes back. Religion says what we need to do is we need to sit down and have a good talk with him, right? You know what I mean? We got to tell him all the stuff that we heard that he's done wrong. Because he needs to feel sorry for what he did because if he feels sorry enough, he won't go back and do it again, right? So we're going to make sure that he feels good and sorry. So son, we're glad you're home, but now come over. The whole family needs to talk to you. We're going to have an intervention. <laughs> and, and we're okay that you're home, but, but you're going to have to make amends for what you did. We're not going to let you all the way back in. And we're not going to sound too happy about it because if we do, you might get this wild idea that you can go and do it again. So if we can make you feel bad enough, then you won't do it again. So come down and sit and have a talk. But a party? Oh, no, we're not throwing a party. So when the other brother finds out his daddy is throwing a party, he's like, you have lost your mind, Dad. But there's another thing that you might not know about. 
You see, when the father divided up the portion of the inheritance this younger son wanted, and he went off and squandered that, guess what's left? Everything that is left goes to the older brother. The problem with the younger brother coming back is he's spent all of his portion. Uh-oh, now guess what he's going to be spending? He's going to be spending the older brother's portion. And the older brother says, you can come back, but you done messed up yourself. You ain't coming back here messing up mine. You ain't coming back here taking my stuff. That's my cow. That calf that dad just killed, that was supposed to be my calf. But now he's giving it to the to the younger brother. And you begin to see the, the heart of this younger brother. And he tells the father, he says, man, I have been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours. To me, that is the, the heart of religion. It cannot believe that God loves you because you are a child of His. It says the only way He can love you is if you earn it. You see, so the older brother's been out trying to earn it. And he's been working for it. And so religion tells us that we have to do things because it's our, our duty as Christians. It's, a, it's an obligation. In fact, I believe that there is a vein of Christianity that says, if it ain't hard and you ain't miserable, you ain't doing it right. <laughs> Can we just be honest? There's a vein that says, if, if you aren't duty-bound, you aren't serving, you aren't doing all these things for the Father, then, then you ain't serious. And, and so it's, it's duty-bound. And it's also consequence-bound. This older brother, he's afraid to not do the right thing. Because he's scared that if he doesn't do the right thing, then something bad is going to happen to him. Oh, y'all don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Huh? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Duty bound? Well, you're like, I got to read my Bible. Because if I don't, something bad going to happen to me. Right? I got to go to church because if I don't, my washing machine's going to break. <laughs> right? That's, that's why bad stuff happens in my life. It's because I, I'm, I'm not doing all the things that God wants me to do. And so he's mad at me. And that's why my washing machine broke and my car broke and I lost my job. That's God punishing me. Right? So we got a, a whole group of religious people who are obeying, not because they love the Father, but they're too scared not to. Yeah. They're living in, in fear of the Father. This older brother has more fear than he does anything else. And so he's, he's afraid. But now here's what I want you to see. The younger brother was out of fellowship because of his sin. Now are you with me? Are you, are you with me? The younger brother is out of fellowship because of his sin. The older brother is out of fellowship because of his religion. Did you know you can be in the house and be out of fellowship? You can be in church every Sunday and be out of fellowship with God. You can be duty bound. You can be fear of the consequences. You going because you're trying to keep... You know that washing machine's old anyway. It's... It's on its last leg anyway. I, I can't tamper with anything that might cause it to break. You know? And so both of these sons are out of fellowship. One's just in the house. I want to ask you, if you've been going to church and you've been doing all the things you've been doing for all the wrong reasons, and that actually you are part of a group that is 
out of fellowship. Because you won't allow yourself to come in and just experience the love of God. You see, the brother who was in sin, he came to his senses and knew the best place to come was home. The older brother doesn't seem to know to come to his senses that it's good at home. And so he, he works for everything. Now, what is this father to do? He's inside celebrating and he gets the word, hey, your older son, he's outside. But he's mad, and he's mad at you. And the father could look and say, you know what? My younger son, he's back. We're going to have a party. I'll worry about my older son later. But I want you to know this is a revelation of the heart of God right here. Who not only stood waiting to receive the sinner when he came home, but he's willing to leave the party and go out and find the religious. Yeah, that's the God we serve. He will stand and wait for you to come home, but you also know He is also the God that if He has to, He'll come get you. That's the picture of the Father in this story. There's a lot of us, when you look at religion, a lot of people, because most of us came out of the prodigal story, right? Let's just be honest. That is the If you don't know anything about Ember, that's our nature. We know what it's like to be the prodigal. Okay? And, and when you look at the religious, it, it'll make you a little bit mad. You know? And you're like, man, I don't want no part of that. And you can begin to think that God doesn't want any part of it either. Except that Jesus tells a story that says he will come and get the prodigal, but he will also leave and go get the religious. Because whether they know it or not, he considers them both sons. He goes out and he begins to to plead with this son to come in and be part of this thing. And we begin to get the, the nature of the heart of God. Do any of you know what the word prodigal means, by the way? Let, before you look up on Google and try to act like you knew it all along, before you do that, I want anybody in the room to raise your hand if you know what the word prodigal means before you got in the room today. Yeah, y'all definitely a bunch of prodigals. Because the religious would have known that. You don't know what prodigal is, do you? <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I, I was studying this story. And I'll, I'll look up words. And the reason that you don't think to look up prodigal is because he's never called the prodigal in the story that Jesus tells. It's the heading above our scripture that's put in by men to help us understand the story. It's called the, the prodigal son. I said, What's, what is prodigal? I don't know what it, I thought it meant lost. I thought prodigal meant that he was the lost son who came home. That's not what prodigal means. Prodigal means extravagant. Prodigal means lavish. Prodigal means reckless. Wasteful. And I would tell you that there's more than one prodigal in this story. There is a prodigal who goes out into the world and loses everything because he is wasteful and he's reckless and he's lavish in his lifestyle and in his spending. Some of us know what that's like. You're like, yeah, I've been prodigal. I bought myself all the little toys I could think of. Yeah, I, If I wanted it, I had it and lost it twice. I was reckless. Yeah. But I will tell you that there is another prodigal in the story. 
It is a prodigal father who is reckless with his love, who is lavish with his love, who pours out his love without concern for whether it's going to come back to him or not. He loves regardless. Now let me stop right there for a minute and just ask you this this one question, okay? Do you believe that God loves you because you're doing stuff right? Or do you believe that He loves you because that's the very essence of His nature? You see, you got to figure that thing out. Because if you believe that God loves you because of what you do, then love becomes a weapon. Now the only problem in saying that is most of us project on God who we are. And is it above us to use love as a weapon? Mm, can I ask you that one more time? Because y'all got real steel. Like, maybe I was going somewhere you didn't want me to go. Is it above us to ever use love as a weapon? To withhold it upon occasion? If we thought we could get somebody to do what we wanted them to do. Mamas and daddies, can I talk to you for a minute? Is it ever too much above us to say that we haven't withheld something from our kids? Our love from our kids. I'm not talking about stuff now. That's, that's your business. <laughs> but that you withhold your love. You ever give them the silent treatment? You know, it's like, I ain't going to talk to them for a little bit. You know, I'm going to act like they ain't there. And I'm going to punish them with my presence and my affection. Yeah, good job. Good job. Good job. That ain't prodigal love. That's using love as a weapon. We tend to use love as a weapon. What we have to understand in this story that Jesus is telling is that the Father has a love that we don't know nothing about. Can I use that kind of English? He has a love that we don't know nothing about. It is a love that says it is not based on what you do or what you don't do. I love because of who I am. You see, He can't be anything else, for God is love. And then when, he, when you realize that, and you find out He's not using love as a weapon, guess what you'll do? You'll come to your senses and come running. It's only when you believe what religion tells us, that God can't love you unless you're good. God can't love you unless you're acting right. That's why we go through all these ups and downs sometimes, right? Because we do something wrong and we're just waiting for the washing machine to break. Can you tell I like that example? I think it's funny. But it tells a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And we, we have these ups and downs because we believe that when we're doing good, we're in right relationship with God. And when we're doing bad, we're in not right relationship with God. And Jesus says, the reason, by the way, this story was told the prodigal, because the Pharisees, the religious, were grumbling because Jesus was hanging out with what they considered to be sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. So they're upset, and that's why He's telling this story. And so I'll tell you that God loves you because you're His child. There ain't nothing you can do about it. And He will receive you home. But the religious will say, excuse me, I have a question. 
My question is, if you love like that, won't that give the permission of the prodigal to go out and do it again? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? If we love like that, will it give the prodigal the permission to go out and live that way again? <laughs> you see, the prodigal had fully repented. He had come to his senses. He had been out in the world. He had tasted all that stuff, and he lost it all, and he realized it was better when I was at Dad's house. You see, it is for the person who realizes that it is better at Dad's house. It is the love of God that compels us. Now, I'm going to take up one more subject, and then I'm going to, I'm going to get back to some, some good stuff. But this is good, too. Holiness. Religion says that holiness is about separating oneself from sin. That is the way holiness is typically defined. That God is holy, and so He has to separate Himself from sin. He, he can't look on sin. Anybody ever heard that sort of definition? It's a legal definition of, of holiness. Yeah, that creates a real dilemma, because basically this is what we tell people in religion. Everybody's a sinner, and God hates sinners. Did you hear the problem in that? We, everybody's a sinner. God hates sinners. There's no way to get out of that dilemma. Because when I've been thoroughly convinced that I'm a sinner, now you've told me that God don't like sinners. So I guess God don't like me. Now what do I do in order to get God to like me? That's where religion comes from. What can I do that God might like me? In fact, I've walked back through Scripture. I challenge some of you who, who love the Word and like to dig into it. Cain and Abel make a sacrifice. Everybody remember that back in Genesis? If you don't know, one of the first things that these sons do is they make a sacrifice. Guess what? It never records that God asked for one. It is in our nature to believe that when we do something wrong, we have to do something in order to make it right. We can't seem to grasp the fact that somebody can love us past our sin. So Cain and Abel make a sacrifice, find in there where it said God asked for it. He didn't ask. The people of Israel are out in the wilderness and they're making sacrifices. And this will blow you away. It's over in Leviticus. It says they were making sacrifices. I am not making this up. To the goat demon. You ever notice when you read through Scripture and then you find something, you're like, wait a minute, I don't think that was in there last time. <laughs> Goat demon? You look that up. They were making sacrifices out there. Why? Because in the culture that they lived in, every religion said that if you do something wrong, you got to make appeasement to the gods or they're going to get you. So they make these sacrifices to the point they even offer their sons to the gods in order to try to keep these gods happy. And what God says to them is He said, look, you out here making these sacrifices. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring them in. We're going to bring them into the, to the tabernacle and we're going to do them this way. And the picture that He paints of these sacrifices is the picture of Jesus who's coming. You see, Jesus said, I didn't ask you to make a sacrifice. Your offerings, I don't want. It's your heart I want. Amen. He says that repeatedly. He says, I don't want your sacrifices. In fact, there are places where he says, those things are, they're, 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 they're I don't know what a word is. They're smelly. They, they're repugnant. 
they're turning me off because you are burning sacrifices and yet your heart is far from me. Those sacrifices were to paint a picture of Jesus who was coming who said, you know what? All these other gods require you to sacrifice your sons. I'm going to give you mine. Because you need to know what true love is. And true love is prodigal. True love is reckless. True love doesn't count the cost. It says, I will love you because that's who I am. Now that word holiness, let me get back to it. So we've thought of this legal definition of holiness. And we say that God can't look on sin. And yet throughout Scripture, He's looking on it. Otherwise, He wouldn't know that it existed. He's looking in the garden. He's coming. So I will tell you that holiness is built on something else. Let me ask you, is Jesus holy? Jesus is holy. Perfect holiness. And yet here is Jesus who is going to dinner with sinners and tax collectors. If your version of holiness doesn't make room for you to have dinner with sinners and tax collectors, you haven't found the true definition of holiness yet. You see, holiness was not supposed to separate us from sin. Holiness was to create this love and this relationship. Holiness is about relationship. Holiness is about, I will stop at nothing to have you. I'll let you choose, but I'll stop at nothing. Holiness is about God's love that is prodigal, that is relentless. So can I tell you that what the world needs is a picture that the world that God is a prodigal when it comes to His love. He has prodigal love. It's reckless. He's going to love you whether you love Him back or not. That's your choice. But He's going to love you because that's who He is. He is prodigal in His forgiveness. Have any of you ever experienced reckless, lavish, extravagant forgiveness? There are times, because I'm a little boneheaded and stubborn, now, the rest of you should have said amen. Y'all just left me hanging like I'm the only one. And I'll find every now and again, I'll get hung up on something. And as bad as I want to do something different, I'll go do it again. It is at that point, you have to know that God is good. And you have to know that He is prodigal. And you have to know that His mercies are new every day. Every day. He is prodigal in his, in his forgiveness. He's prodigal in His goodness. God is good. God is good. And you have to realize that the goodness of God is prodigal. It is, it is wasteful. <laughs> and that you've got to be willing to put on and allow God to be good to you. Can you do that? Can you allow Him to be good? Allow Him to run to you. Allow Him to forgive you again. Allow Him to pour out His love on you even though maybe you didn't deserve it. Can, can you put it on? Or are you going to have to work for it? I spent a lot of my life working for it. Can I just be honest? Can, can I be the one that has gone ahead of you and said, I have gone ahead of you and I tried to earn it and I tried to work for it. I'm not even sure when I got into ministry if my intentions were all pure. I, I think I got into it thinking, man, if I just work hard, surely God will love that. Right? Yeah, that's a really dumb reason for becoming a pastor. Amen, pastor. 
bad reason. But then I came in contact with perfect love. But I had to wear myself out. I had to work myself to the bone. Become so frustrated that I couldn't do it before I could receive the, the robe that, that Christ was wanting to, to put on me. And so the father is prodigal. So now check this out. We got a prodigal son who wastes everything. We got a father who's prodigal. And we got a, another son, an older son, who's stingy. <laughs> what if we had a prodigal son? that presented the right way. When Jesus tells this story to the older brother, if you notice, He never tells us if the son goes in or not. He doesn't tell us. We don't know when He went out and He begged and He pleaded for Him to come in and to be a part of the celebration. We don't know if the, that older son ever goes in and becomes part of the celebration. Jesus is telling this story because there are a bunch of Pharisees, the religious who he's trying to say the love of God reaches to the sinners and to the tax collectors. It's who I am. He's trying to bring them into it. But do you realize it's the religious that had the most problem seeing him? It's always the religious that have the most trouble seeing him. Because they're trying to earn it. They can't see that it's just a free gift that's given because of God. And so if we just had an elder brother that would show us the way, if we just had an elder brother that would show us the way. If we just had an elder brother that would show us the way. Amen. Does anybody want an elder brother that would show us the way? There's an elder brother and he's a prodigal too. This elder brother that will show us the way, he's the one that told the story. That was a mic drop moment. Because what we're in need of is an elder brother, but we have one. He's the one telling the story. It's why we often forget about Jesus in the story. Jesus is the one telling the story. He's trying to tell you, I am that perfect son. He said, I live in perfect communion with God the Father. Oh man, i got to show you one other thing. The, prodigal, the, the elder brother... He thought that he was going to have to wait and do everything good until his father died for him to receive his inheritance. There's a lot of religious people that believe they got to hold on and do the right thing until they die and then they can receive their inheritance. I'd like to change your opinion of that today if I can. With just two verses. Look at verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. Can I tell you that that applies to you today? Whether you are the one caught in sin that has returned, or you are the, the older brother who couldn't see it, the Father is saying to you, Son, all that I have is yours. If it's mine, it's yours. That's why Jesus said in that high priestly prayer, He said, Father, all that you have given me, it's this perfect thing where Jesus realizes that everything he has and everything he needs comes down from the Father. The elder thought he was going to have to die in order to receive it. Look what happens over in verse 12. The younger son asked for his portion. It says, the father give me the share of the estate that falls to me. It says, so he divided his wealth between who? Between them. 
He went ahead and divided it between them both. Think about that for a minute. This older brother was given everything, but he didn't even know it. You have been given everything. You see, I, I think I understand the heart of the father in that because I have a son. Do any of you have children? A son? A daughter? Yeah. When I look at the stuff that I have, you know the mindset that I have in that is? If it's mine, it's his. If it's mine, it's his because I love him. And, and it's kind of ours right now. You know, because my son is 15, so it's, it's kind of ours. He may not know it or not, but that house... I intend to give it to him. He's my son. Amen. Whatever I have at the end of the day, I, I intend to give it to him. Amen. It's, it's ours. Now, my son may look at it and he may go, well, that's really my, my dad's. He's back there. He's like, really? <laughs> yeah, so listen in on this conversation. Caden, all that I have is yours. Because I love you. You see, a lot of people around here, they had a bunch of kids, but I only had one. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't handle any more. That's, that's all God would give me. But son, all that I, I have is yours. So when you look around, you're not looking at your dad's stuff. You're, you're really looking at, at our stuff. And one day, I'm, I'm not going to be with you. And then if you're in that house, somebody say, well, whose house is it? And you say, well, it's, it's my, well, it's, it's mine, but it was my, my dad. It's, it's ours. Amen. You see, that's how everything's supposed to be seen. It, it came from dad, but he gave it to me. And so it's mine, but it's his. Well, it's ours. And so everything that we have, we share it together. Because we serve a prodigal father. Who says, all that is mine is yours. And I have divided it. And you don't have to wait till heaven. Child of God, can I tell you that you don't have to wait to heaven? Amen. It'd be a shame if you waited until heaven. Because what he's saying to you is, all that I have is yours and it's right now. Jesus is the brother who presents the picture of what it looks like to live in the now of God. I want you to live in the now of God. Can you say now of God? Yeah, not I'm trying to get to heaven where I can get something. No, the kingdom of God is here. It is near. It is in me. It is mine. Not because I deserved it, Lord, no. But because of my Father who is prodigal. Who is, who is generous. So, I, I need you to change characters again. Can you do that? I need you... I need you to change characters because we're going to leave out of here. And if you don't know anything about Ember, our best work's done Monday through Saturday. Do you realize that? Your best work, child of God, is Monday through Saturday at the workplace, among your family. When we come in here on Sundays, it's just a celebration. It's just this little piece of, of all that's going on. We're just celebrating prodigals that are coming home. People that are coming to God. Miracles that God's doing. We come in here just to celebrate our prodigal God. And the only way you can celebrate a prodigal God is to have a celebration. So I will challenge all of us, okay? And in fact, I will go so far to say this. 
I believe that those of you, and we don't use these two terms any, anymore because we got married and so we don't talk about our former lives much anymore. But, but there is a culture of celebration within the black church. Are you listening? And we need it. We need it. When we get together, that's what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a celebration. Can, can I tell y'all that what we need to happen is not to tamp that down, but to turn up. We need a celebration when we come. That it's a celebration of prodigals coming home. It's a celebration of religious folk that we don't run out and got because we didn't think they were going to have enough sense to get in themselves. <laughs> you know, it's like, look, you ain't got good gumption. I'm coming to get you because you're missing out. Come on, come on. And we're bringing them in. I need you to change characters because at some point in our life we have to quit living as the prodigal and quit living as the religious and realize that we're a child of God. Yeah. And, and then we're supposed to be giving life out. I got one more thing and then I'm going to quit. And I promise I'm going to do that. You know when a pastor says he's got two minutes left, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. I found, I found that out when I went to a funeral one time. Five pastors got upset. I got two more minutes. At the end of that, I said, I have learned something today. I know what two minutes means when a pastor says it. Nothing. So I got two minutes. <laughs> it is interesting that in the story of Luke, he's the one that mentions the prodigal. He tells the story of the prodigal. So you've got a, you've got a younger brother and you've got an older brother. And the character we kept missing was Jesus who was telling the story. Luke is also the one that tells the story at the end. It's a story of three people. It's two thieves hanging between a righteous son. Hmm. Now look what happens. One of them is a, a prodigal thief who comes to his senses and he says, Lord, remember me. I, I deserve to be here. Because I messed up. Lord, will you just remember me? I think he represents the prodigal younger brother. But just on the other side of him is, is another thief, right? And these, this thief says, look, if you are who you say you are, get me down from here. That's what religion does, right? God, if you're who you say you are, get me out of this mess. God, if you who you say you are, I need you right now. Now, I don't care nothing about you after you get me down. <laughs> but I need something for you. See, religion is always needing from God. It never enters into a relationship with God. That's why when Jesus is on the cross, one enters paradise and one doesn't. And the only thing that kept the two of them out was one of them came to his senses and said, Lord, will you remember me? So can we end the discussion? Who, who are you going to be? Are you going to be the one on one side that says, I just need you to answer my prayers. And then you can go on and do your thing. And I'll do mine. That's what religion is essentially saying. Or are you going to be on the other side that says, I have come to my senses. And I believe you are who you say you are. Will you just remember me? Amen. We need some people who will go out in the world and preach that message. 
Because I believe there are people out in the world, they are the younger brother and they are full of shame. And they think that if they just keep to themselves and keep working, somehow they're going to turn it all around. And you, we got to go out and get them and say, you know what, you need to come back with me. Because the only way to get rid of sin and shame is to put on the goodness of God. It's to put on the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And to wear it. And if you're concerned about what happens when you sin again, because I know some of you are. You're like, I know me. I, I know me. When I leave out of here, I'm going to get tempted. What am I supposed to do, Pastor Kevin? You know what you're supposed to do? Don't take off the robe. Don't take off the robe. Take off the sin. But don't take off the robe. Most people have been told that if you sin, you've got to take off the robe. You don't deserve it anymore. But what the Father says is keep the robe on. Amen. Keep the robe on. Get rid of the sin. Stay with me and I'll show you how to walk out of it. He said, but I, I didn't walk out of it yet. He's like, I know, but I love you still. I'll help you. It is my love. It is my holiness that will cause you to walk out of it. Amen. Keep it on. Keep on my love. Keep on my goodness. If you remember, I preached a message about abiding. It comes from John chapter 15. The moral of the story is not, child, do whatever you can to stay connected to God. It is, child, abide in my love. Essentially, what God is saying is this. You don't have the strength to stay connected to me. But I have the strength to hold you. <laughs> and I will hold you with my love. Will you let me love you? That is the central question. Will you let me love you? Will you let God be prodigal to you? Will you let Him be lavish in His goodness? Lavish in His forgiveness? Lavish in His love? Will you let Him be reckless? You say, is God reckless? Yes, He's not reckoning. He's not counting. That's what that means. He's not counting. I know the rest of the world, the religious say, I done forgive him seven times, Jesus. Is that enough? You remember when Peter said that? I forgive him seven times. Is that enough? He says, nah, seven times 70. Many people took, went away with that and going, dang, that's a lot. Okay, but here we go. That's number four. <laughs> for 70, I got 10 more. I can cut him loose. At, at 10 more, I can look at him and say, this child of yours... Because the world's looking for a reason to turn people loose. It's trying to get to 490. But God says, I am reckless. I am not reckoning. I am not even counting because that's just who I am. 